Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. My name is Enrique Alvarez and I'm delighted to be here today. I actually have, it's going to be a good day. I, uh, I'm not only participating in a great conference this week here in Austin, the uh, Conscious Capitalist CEO Summit, but I also have an amazing guest for today's conversation. We're going to be tackling uh, culture. We're going to be tackling, uh, tackling how uh, passion and purpose-driven organizations can really change the world and make a positive impact in our communities. And those two topics are very uh, interesting and and um, uh, and very uh, important for us and for me in particular. And also, I'm super excited because I have Nuria with us today. Nuria, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm really good. I'm very excited to be here today and having the opportunity to uh, interview Arnie and to learn more about Better Book Club and all the things that he has been doing. So, yeah, really excited. And you're joining us from uh, the UK, right? Yes, yes. Actually, I'm I'm located in in Bristol, UK, so we are all connected. Well, and before we introduce or I let you introduce our guest of honor, Arnie, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and briefly introduce yourself too? Me? Why not? Yes, go ahead. (laughs) Very briefly, so that uh, our audience knows uh, who you are and what you do. Well, I'm I'm the sales and marketing manager for Vector. Um, My background is uh, I've been working for many years in a consultancy firm, and my background comes from branding agency, and I've been living abroad for many, many years, actually. And this is, I think, that my fourth country that I've been living in and well, uh, all my life working in marketing and branding. So I'm really excited. Well, thank you so much. I'm super excited to have you as co-host. And uh, without further ado, go ahead, please do the honor and uh, welcome Arnie to the show. We are very excited to have Arnie Moham from Better Book Club with us today. Arnie is an award-winning CEO with more than 20 years business experience. He has written a best-selling book called Worth Doing Wrong, The Quest to Build a Culture That Rocks. And now he serves as a founder and CEO of the Better Book Club, which helps companies, leaders, and individuals build a strong culture that both attracts the best people and rewards those who seek personal growth within that organization. So welcome, Arnie, to the show. We are very excited to have you here with us today. I I, I love the intros. It always makes me feel great about being me. Serves my ego, helps me, helps me get excited about being here. Thank you for the kind words and, and having me here today. Thank you for being here, Arnie. It's a pleasure. And of course, we're going to be talking about a subject that is very, uh, it's a passion for you, I'm sure, culture and how culture kind of can shape not only companies, but but hopefully the world. So uh, thank you once again. How are, how are you doing? Where are you th- today? Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, where it's a, a beautiful uh, fall day. The, the leaves are starting to turn. Uh, we're excited uh, for the season. We're excited to, to feel like we're, a li- you know, Tennessee gets a bad rap. Uh, uh, Tennessee, USA gets a bad rap for COVID, but we feel like we're, on, we're, we're improving. Uh, and uh, we're excited to, to, to be at the beginning of, of what's to come. Well, and yeah, we can hardly wait for this pandemic to be over for sure. And everyone's just wearing their masks and bringing them everywhere they are. But uh, yeah, but no, I'm with you there. And again, thank you once again. And so before we kind of deep dive into the main, I guess, uh, 
agenda for today, which is culture. Uh, tell us a little bit more about you. I mean, what, where were you born? Some of the things that you kind of liked to do while you were growing up. Kind of help us understand the path that you have had uh, to become such an uh, amazing culture guru uh, today. Uh, uh, I, I would love to be an amazing culture guru. I'm, <laughs> I'm a, I have figured out culture uh, by doing it wrong enough to finally get it right. And that, you know, it's part of my whole theme is your willingness to do that. And, and we can go at least six or seven hours with my story, uh, which I will condense into just a few minutes for you. But, but born in a small town in Arkansas, uh, 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 moved to a, a big small town called Nashville, Tennessee, uh, where I started my career and and started like everyone else, sort of in business, sort of working for someone else, learning the ropes, uh, and finally uh, got fired and had to start my own business. And and through that experience, uh, uh, fought and fought and fought to figure out how to run my business. Uh, uh, and after ten years of of getting it just just almost successful, I found EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, they started introducing me to people and books that changed my life and changed how I approach business. And the second, the next 10 years of my business is when we grew it, uh, when we, when we found our culture, when we found our passion, uh, and where we, and, and then eventually I exited, uh, two, the two businesses I had created, uh, and am now pursuing, uh, the difference I can make with a better book club in the world and, and how we can get others to find the answers that are all in the books that we read, uh, and of course, the people we meet and apply them to their lives. And so that's a that's a very condensed version. Small town, big small town, uh, 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 fired, started my business, learned through others here now with you. Well, thank you so much for that quick uh, summary of your life. And for you, uh, being fired has been like a very important catalyst of everything else that has come. So most people sometimes are a little bit ashamed that they're I mean, just, but you kind of not only embrace it, but you feel that that's a very important turning point in, in your career. Can you tell us a little bit more why and kind of how you took that? How do you, how do you take that attitude? Cause it's yeah. something that's usually well, not fun. But yeah, it's, and, and so as a, um, as, as many entrepreneurs say, we're unemployable anyway. And so we kind of find, we'll find our way to, to being fired if we're not. But in my case, I was running a business on the side. I was moonlighting. It was the gig economy before the gig economy. Uh, and in that day and time, which was the uh, mid nineties, that, that just wasn't uh, smiled upon much. And, and, and my employer said, look, you're, 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 you're unfocused. You're not with us. Uh, we're going to set you afloat. And, and I hated that. I, uh, at the time it was, just, it was a very scary thing, uh, but it, like most things in life, Really scary and early turns out to be really great later. And sometimes really great early turns out to be really bad later. So we learned from these lessons. Uh, and at the time, I was, again, doing things I shouldn't have been doing at the time, working on the side, got, got busted. Uh, and and the, the price I paid was freedom from, at that point, a job that it wasn't great for me anyway, uh, and the introduction to what could be. Nice. Well, could you tell us a little bit? Uh couple of things that what what is what have you learned the most uh, along the way uh culture related or not i mean you could yeah give us a little bit of a better sense on the top three four things that you have learned throughout yeah. the uh, this your this is this is probably uh the biggest thing i'll summarize by saying and, and this is uh, again everything i say is stolen from someone uh, you know i i r and d i rip off and duplicate uh so many things that are out there but but the phrase is fast alone far together. And I think, I think over my experience as of 25, 30 years of being in the business community is, is that we often try to go fast alone, 
but we all, but more often find that we're way better off going far together. And to go far together, we have to have a culture that allows that. Otherwise, it's 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 short lived. It's problematic. It's dramatic. It, it comes with 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 fraud and concern and rumors and and all of a sudden we find that we're not with the tribe we want to be with. We're not where we need to be. We're not we're not we're not waking up every day saying I can't wait to get involved uh, with my team, with my purpose, with my values, and move move this thing forward. And so that that's a, that's the biggest thing I've learned over time is that. Uh, I, I can go. I can go fast alone, or I can, or I can go far together, and and that's what I'm driving towards. Okay, so Arnie, just stop telling your own people what to read, and instead encouraged you recognize them and rewarded yeah. uh, to read whatever they wanted, absorbing content and making them a better team. So now, Better Book Club is a software that companies can use. But looking back. So what is the story behind? Yeah. Well, just like every owner, leader, group, team leader, entrepreneur, we all believe that our last book is our team's next book. And, and that's just not true. It's, it's, myth, it's a myth that we all believe, but it's not true. We, we, whether we go to a conference and come back with an idea and just can't wait to tell everybody, but the same thing happens when we read a book it's like, oh my God, this is great. Everyone, we go ride 20 copies and we hand it out and we tell everyone to read it. We're going to talk about it next month. And they look at us like, dude, I don't, let's not, I don't, that's not my next book. But we don't see that. We just see our path to what we think we're trying to get there alone. And we think everybody else just needs to follow us, right? So, so we don't recognize that every team member we have is on their own path. They have their own path of learning what their next book is, is not your last book. But Took me a while. I, I tried this for years. I would read. I finally brought a bunch of books from my home and I put them on the shelves at my office. And I, and I said, guys, just read what I've read so we all can be on the same page. Didn't work, right? Because, because they, they were on different paths. They have different backgrounds. They had a different journey. They, they, their next book was different than my last book. And so mm-hmm. finally, out of, just, out of just wanting it to work, again, I do it wrong until I get it right. I wrote numbers inside the cover of the books. I would put 25, 50, 75, or 100. And I told everyone, hey, if, whatever you read, anything on this shelf, if you read it, I'll pay you. And that began the journey of Better Book Club. That began one or two people from a 26-person organization to pull a book and say, I'll read this. Like, like I didn't like the book you just told me to read, but I like this book. It's, it's, it makes sense to me. And so we slowly started, they slowly started reading I slowly started paying, and that was the genesis of Better Book Club. It's sort of like man bites dog. We paid people to read, and 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 as we grew that, it had to we had to get organized. First, it was with Excel, and we sort of kept up with, with worksheets. But we turned that into a program that allowed us to see who was reading what, allowed us to reward them for for the reading, and thus encourage them to do it more. What's rewarded? What's what's measured and rewarded is often repeated. And that's what we found with Better Book Club. And so I had to understand also that, that management and marketing and uh, hiring and leadership are all great books and great things to read about. But what really comes first for most of our, had come first for most of our team members was books that helped them be better spouses, better parents, better with their finances, have less stress, be healthier. It helped them improve themselves so that then they could help improve 
the business. And, and we as leaders have to get out of the way of that. We, we want everybody to come to work and be 100% focused on us. What we don't understand is that it's hard for our team to be focused on us until they can be comfortable and successful with themselves. I went a long ways. I went a long ways on that, but it all started with me trying to get them to read what I read until I figured out that they just weren't going to do it. And sometimes they would tell me they did and didn't. Like the typical book club is you, you hand out books to 10 people, three read it because they're, they're going to do whatever you say. Three absolutely don't because they're not going to do what you say. And the, and the four left sort of skim the book, lie about it, say they read it but didn't. All of this leads to a meeting that is very uncomfortable for them. It's, it's typically the leader talking the entire time, and it lasts one or two or maybe three months or quarters if the company's lucky. It, it, like it only lasts that long. Your team wait for you to come back with ideas that will fade away. And the key to culture, I found, is to put in programs that stick. Give them time to take root. And we can get all into all the things you have to do to make that happen. But Better Book Club is what we've, the best thing about Better Book Club is it sticks because, because it develops roots. There's a reward, recognition and reward system. And ultimately, it's good for your people, which means it's good for your business. That's uh, absolutely true. And um, thanks for sharing that. And let's just get right into it, right? I mean, you mentioned culture. Um, how, would you, how would you define culture? What's culture for you? And Yeah. Uh, well, culture for me is, do I enjoy coming to work? And, and guess what, folks? That's exactly what culture is for your people, your team members. When they come into work, do they enjoy? Are they looking forward to their team, their purpose, their values, their mission? Their, like, are they looking forward to it? Or are they sitting in their car or now, you know, presume, right. however, the, 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 and thinking, I, I, this is the, like, I would do anything but this. Like, the, do we want people coming to work? wanting to get out of work or we want people excited about the way they come to work but the same applies to us as leaders so if you're listening to this as a leader how do you feel about coming to work today if you're coming to work if every day you're going i can't believe i gotta lead these people i can't believe i gotta put up with their stuff i can't believe they're not following the the rules or guidelines i can't believe i can't believe you got a culture problem and it's just as bad as if your teammates or team members if you're a team member is thinking i don't want to go work for that person i don't believe in what we're doing that's a culture problem. How you feel about coming to work defines your culture. Now, that's just a, like a little nibble on this big, big conversation about how to, how to make it right, what's good, what's bad, but it starts there. How do you feel? And, and, and to let me blab a little more, it was 10 years into my business that I thought I was building something that I realized I've gotten almost nowhere. I'm not happy here. My people aren't happy here. And and, and I got to blame someone. And I was looking for everyone to blame. Guess whose fault it was? Wow. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> culture, it always starts with us, right? It's culture always... reflects leadership. And you can't get around that. If your culture is not what you want, it's because your leadership is failing, whether it's you or the people you work for. Leadership's the key. Culture reflects leadership always. So now that you mentioned about leadership, we will talk about uh, about it more uh, later, but how do you define good leadership in your own experience? Well, good leadership. Wow. That's, that's a, that's a, you know, sometimes that can be uh, hard to define, but uh, I, I almost, here's how I define it. Good leadership is when leaders do what they say they're going to do. 
whether mm-hmm. whether that's good or bad. Like if, if you've got if it bad leadership is when we say one thing and do another. It is a it's it's where we park as leaders. Do we do we park in the front row and tell everyone else to park behind us? Do do we participate in the programs that we've set up to work for our purpose or our business? Do are we are we enthusiastic about the things that are going on in our company or is it are they in the way? Uh, like do we do what we say? Do we eat what we cook? That's good leadership. And and you can be you I can disagree with you on a hundred out of a hundred things. But if you're doing what you say you do, I think that's good leadership. Good leadership doesn't always mean right. It just means good leadership. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very interesting, right? I mean, let's explore a little bit more on that because at the end of the day, you're saying it's just consistency, right? I mean, you have to be integrity. You have to be someone that really walks the talk and, and, and puts the, yeah, here's a Put great money example. Where the mouth is, right? Here's a great example of that. I, I have one of our uh, clubs. We we have clubs. We have better book clubs all over the world, globally. There, there's there's almost no continent that doesn't have a better book club on it. And I was talking to one of the owners, and he was they were struggling for the better book club to take the the uh, uh, to have the significance that we thought it would have in the company. So I took a look at, at what they were doing, and I looked at the owner and said, "Is this important to you?" And the owner said, "Absolutely." And I said, well, I couldn't tell by looking at your profile because you've not tagged your books. You're not participating in the program. Wow. There's, you, you have, you have an account and there's zero activity. You haven't even logged in in nine months. So it's not important to you, right? So therefore, it's not important to your people. Right. And that, people that, see it right away. I mean, there's no it, way of fooling them, right? You can tell me your priorities or I can look at your calendar and I can tell you what your priority. Like those, are, those can be two very different things. Is what you tell me your priorities are and what your calendar used to. We used to say your checkbook because we used to actually have a register in our checkbook. Right. But we would record things we don't anymore. Tell me how you spend your money and tell me how you spend your time. And I'll tell you what's important to you. And so the same thing goes for, for, for how you lead. If you do the things that you say are important to you for, in your company and your leadership, that's good leadership. That, and that's, Sounds simple, right? I mean, it sounds very straightforward and simple and people should be able to understand it. Yet we're humans and still don't do it, right? Um, we, we, we lie to ourselves and the yeah. people closest to us all the time. And so we have to develop systems. And this is everything I developed in my companies wasn't about what I could mentally keep in my head. It was what could I develop a system for, you know, sort of like checklist manifesto for a program to work, whether it's cultural or sales or or uh, a leader, anything you put in your company, if you don't have a checklist, a champion, and, and that champion doesn't feel like compelled to, to improve the program, it's hard to get a program to stick. And so we have to develop, we have to develop habits that are systems that, may, that drive our, our processes forward. And, and it, on this podcast, I think that's, that's understood as much as anything, right? It's logistics and getting things right and doing things consistently over and over again. We do that through putting in a system, not just wanting right. it to be, but making sure we take the steps to make it be. Two questions. Is there something like uh, the wrong business culture? And, and, and of course, how do you, how do you know? Because one thing is, well, can I be, do I have a bad culture, right? It's one. Yeah. And then the other is like, well, I love my company. I'm super fully invested in my company. I feel that I have a great culture, but how do I identify that I don't? 
Right. Well, so here's the test number one. This is easy for everybody. And some people, some people think they know the answer to this, but what's the answer? Is, what's your turnover? If you have high turnover, you probably don't have the culture you think you do. You, you, you make excuses about it. You say, oh, it's the industry. Oh, it's the people. Oh, it's where I am. Oh, it's the G-. If you have high turnover, you probably don't have an ideal culture because good culture promotes low turnover. And by the way, I, I, right. I always, I can't believe that turnover was our secret to success. If we could keep our people who were trained, motivated, and happy to be there, we were successful as a company. If we were constantly having to replenish that energy with, with falsehoods or new people, it made us weaker. So the first test is what's your turnover? And, and the, the, if you're answering from the top of your head, you're probably wrong. If you're measuring from reports that actually, that actually measure it, then, then I'll believe you. And then when you're, re- and when you're willing to put that report on the wall, on the used to be wall where you worked, but now proverbial <laughs> right. wall wherever you collect your data so that everyone can see. When you're willing to make transparent your true turnover, then you're heading in the right direction, right? It, it's because you're, account, you're holding yourself and your team and your company accountable to being the culture that where turnover is, is better than the industry. Like if you're with the industry, not good enough. If you're below the industry, you got a lot of problems. You have to be ahead of the industry. Now, number two, let's say that you, oh, Arnie, my turnover is good. We're half of the industry. I feel good about that. I still want to measure my culture. Great. Here's a novel idea. Ask them. Ask them how the culture is. We ran a survey every month by our entire team that said on a scale from one to 10, with 10 being the best place you can imagine working and one being the worst how do you feel about our culture today? And we did that monthly. And we got all the answers along with one more question, not 100 questions, two questions. One to 10, how do you feel about culture today? Question number two, tell us something we're doing right or tell us something we're doing wrong. We took in all that information. We posted the score publicly to everyone so that those that felt good about the culture could see how, how their perception rated with everyone else's. We also published and responded to every comment, good or bad. We said, thank you for the good, and we addressed the bad because it's our responsibilities as leaders to take all those, those issues away from the water cooler, put sunlight on them, take action where necessary, explain things where they haven't been explained well. So the, the answer is, we try to keep our culture in our culture score at eight or above, right? At 10, is almost impossible. Three is a problem. But if we could keep it, and if it started blowing, falling below eight, we had to start really looking at ourselves and saying, what are we not telling them? What are we not explaining? What are we not sharing? What are we not cheering for? What are we doing as leaders that's driving that number down? What we use, what I would do, have done in my first 10 years is start complaining about them. I would complain about my team. I would complain about the industry. I would complain about my clients. I would complain about all the things that I thought were hurting my culture before I realized that it's me. And when I say me, I mean the leader and the leadership team. And so long answer, short question. Turnovers, number one. Ask them how we're doing, number two. Why is it so difficult uh, for many companies and leaders to get it straight? Well, well, because, well, because we... We as leaders, I heard two weeks ago, I was talking to a group and I heard this, shouldn't we get our people right before we start working on culture? Shouldn't we be more profitable before we start investing in culture? 
oh, once, once I get this done, I'll start working on culture. It's, it's backwards. It's, it's exactly what I used to think in the first 10 years of running my business. While I was doing it wrong, I was trying to get something right before I worked on my culture. It's kind of like saying, as soon as I get this project done, I'm going to pay more attention to my family. As soon as I get this project done, I'm going to start paying more attention to my own health. As soon as I do this, I will do that. When really it's the opposite. If we work on our, if we work on our culture, it's shocking what we will attract in terms of people. It's shocking what we will attract in terms of clients. It's shocking what we'll attract in terms of vendors wanting to be a part of our solution as opposed to just have, you know, having an, another transaction. When we work on culture first, then everything else gets easier. When we work on everything else, culture becomes the rainbow that we can never quite get to because we're not willing to invest the time in it. And most leaders and leadership teams get it wrong because they don't put it first. They don't think of what can we do first to get the hearts and minds of our people all rowing the boat in the same direction. They start, they start, they'd rather argue about which direction, who the best rowers are, what kind of oars are we going to use? Uh, which way is the wind blowing? They start worrying about all the things that they actually don't have control of as opposed to the one thing they do, which is setting up a framework where people enjoy the work they're doing. No, and uh, so we've had a couple of rough years and, and it seems that it's going to be a little bit uh, challenging for, the, for, the, for a couple more, for a little bit longer, I guess. Uh, change how do you incorporate change into all this right because you have the culture you're trying to set it up and is change a good thing is change a bad thing should yeah. you adjust to change should the culture be the same do you have to set it up in such a way that it's a little bit more absolute and general so that how do you factor change and of course these days change being great so it's it's ever present uh so you could add Tell us a bit more about how you think about change, and then also your company. How was your company impacted through the pandemic? Right? I mean, yeah. How 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 did you kind of as a leader, navigate. Yeah. as a leader, how do you navigate through that? Well, it, let's let's talk about change first. If you, I, I like the phrase: if you don't like change, you'll uh, if you don't like change, you'll like irrelevance even less. Like it, <laughs> change is gonna happen. Like the only thing that's constant is change. And you, you can't avoid it. Sometimes it's big change, like what COVID created for us. And it, it accelerated so many industries uh, and, it, and, it, and it increased the deceleration of other industries. Like it, it amplified a lot of things, uh, both good and bad. Uh, but, but that's a big change. What, what's more, what we typically more feel fearful of is slow change. It's harder to see slow change. It's actually harder to react to slow change than fast. Like when COVID hit, you had to do something. You had to swim like your life depended on it because it did, because it did, right? And, but, but slow change is harder. It's, it's, when, when I first got into in the advertising business, the number one place my clients spent their money was the yellow pages. What's that? Many of your viewers, <laughs> many of your listeners may ask, what are the yellow pages? It was this book directory that came out once a year with everyone's name and phone number. Like, what, is, what a year? What is, that's crazy. That slowly became irrelevant, right? But it ha didn't happen in a year. It happened over like 10 years, 15 years right. where it became irrelevant. Broadcast TV, which was the other big industry I was in, is facing that same thing now. Like what broadcast TV used to be, the is still the number one place so many people spend their advertising dollars, but it's eroding away 
to other ways to reach people. And it's a slow change. It's harder for people to react to that. Those are just, those are slow changes in my experience. There are slow changes happening everywhere that we have to deal with, identify. And, and that's where you pull your team together and you start identifying on a matrix what's changing on the pathway that we can't see yet. What's already started? What are the trends? Where are things going? Having a culture that's willing to come together and share their experience, share what they see, be looking around, down, and through the, the, the corners and hills, those, that creates the resilience that you need to overcome change. Otherwise, everyone comes to work and says, what do we do now? What do we do now? And you alone have to figure that out. It's, it's so much easier when a team comes together, finds those opportunities, and works the strategies out together. By the way, you don't even have to get it right. You just have to do it wrong enough to finally get it right. And that's, that's the other perspective. If you think we have to have the perfect reaction to every change, we just have to be willing to try things to test change. Change throws us a curveball. We got to take a swing so we know how far off we are. But we also have to measure how far we are. We have to rewatch the video. We have to work on the mechanics of our swing. We have to figure out how to hit the ball. By the way, as soon as you figure it out, a changeup's coming next. Like it's going to be right. a different pitch. But if we're not doing that, we're just sw- we get hits because the ball happens to hit our bat rather than us swinging and hitting the pitch. Wow. So leadership and, and culture are intrinsically related. So is it leadership that shapes the culture of an organization or vice versa? Yeah, it, it, I've, it's absolutely, you could have an organization where the culture by default is the right culture. It's possible, right? Now, it, the truth is, it's because leaders within the organization, unnamed, untitled people have stepped up and their personality have become the leadership. Leadership by default, again, it's the, it's the ball hitting the bat rather than the bat hitting the ball. Culture that is by design, that takes that is always takes on the personality of the leader. It's hard not to, right? And 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 a, and a leader will say, "Oh, I've got a I've got a czar of culture that takes care of culture." Well, you can do that, but you hired the czar of culture, right. and so whatever your culture is, still is your responsibility, right? If you want to if you want to delegate it, uh, or just just know that you're abdicating it rather than delegating it. Now, what I would encourage leaders to do is decide what is the culture I want. Do, how, how do I want, what are the, which are really values and purpose? What, what, what are the values and purpose of this business? What are the things, what are, how are we going to make hiring decisions, firing decisions, recognition decisions, promotion decisions? How are we going to play the game according to the, to the culture I see by design in my head? And now I'm going to put the pieces in place to make that happen. And for a big organization, that's a lot of pieces. And it gets harder and harder. And for a smaller organization, uh, it's not necessarily easier but you, you, have more, you can reach all the pieces, right? You can move them faster. So it, it, a, a, a culture by default, you can get lucky, but a culture by design will always out, in my experience, it will always outperform. And by the way, getting it right today doesn't mean you're getting it right tomorrow. Like there, there are companies that we worship that they go, oh my God, look how great they are at culture. And one news cycle, one person doing something wrong, one sort of outlier can create a whole different mindset, but those companies have the resilience to recover. That's the difference is that, is that when we have a, we did the morale surveys, we called them, where we asked 250, 225 people to tell us 
on a scale from one to 10, what's the, what's, what is, is this the best culture or the worst culture that you could experience? They tell us a number. We post that number. They tell us a comment. We didn't get all beautiful comments. We got negative comments, but most of them, as we improved and improved the culture, were outliers, and we were able to deal with that comment as a, not deal with as in go fire the person, by the way, but deal with and to say, hey, what did we miss? What did we not explain, do, or put in place to prevent this from happening? Or if we, if we think we did all those things, it's a chance for us to retell that story to make sure everyone knows. So it's, it's about having a system in place that's resilient to create the culture you want and not a, a, a just throwing it on the wall and seeing if it'll stick. So for, for all the entrepreneurs out there, Arnie, and I know you are one, a serial one, I also part of uh, the EO organization, Atlanta. And could you tell us a little more about just the Better Book Club as you were conceiving the idea, how you set it up, how to incorporate it, why? I mean, from like Arnie, the, the entrepreneur standpoint, as opposed yeah. to the well, my two guru. My two businesses, one was an ad agency, had about 75 people. Uh, after 20 years, we, I sold that business to our largest client at the time. They are, they are five years into that journey, and they are still successfully running the largest ad agency for personal injury lawyers in the country right here in Nashville. They, they are following the culture we set. They, they actually, we helped them grow their business, and then they got so big, they ended up buying our business. But we, but we shared the mindset of what culture looks like. Very successful. I loved running that business forming it, running it, being a part of it. Uh, but it was, it was time for a change after the time I spent there. The second business was called Legal Intake Professionals. They were a call center. that We answered phones for lawyers across the country. We had 300 law firms across North America that we answered their phones for. We had 125 people, 24-7, 365. Wow. These two businesses operated out of one building all together, one big community, a lot of different, a lot of demographics, education levels, everything. But the culture is what tied us together. And so I tell that story to say Better Book Club was how we grew our team members, right? If you're not, you got to really, we have to, I had to learn, as I all do, is you can't grow your team without, or, or your business without growing your team members. And right. so there's lots of ways to grow your team members. One of the ways was Better Book Club. One of the ways was getting them to read books that made them better people. Again, better parents, better spouses, better with their finances, all those things first. And then marketing, management, hiring, strategy, all the things that, that help them contribute to business. But it wasn't about any one book. It was about creating the habit of reading. For every team member that worked for us over the years, if we had a chance to create a habit of reading, we changed that person and thus our business forever. Because, because they ate the apple, they got nutrition, and then they, they, that nutrition became part of them, that nutrition became part of the company. I like to believe that we impacted other companies as people move on and change jobs. They, they take that knowledge with them. Better Book Club allowed us to recognize and reward reading so that reading habits would be created so that, um, so that that knowledge would be a part of them and our company. I tell you that story to say when I exited the company, uh, it, you know, financial, there was a financial model for me exiting, which made sense for me at the time. Uh, there were, there were uh, models for the companies to be successful at the time. But the one thing I thought made the biggest difference of everything I did was Better Book Club. And so I, I pulled Better Book Club out of this, it made it instead of a program we did within our business. And I, want that, I wanted that program to be something that's a part of businesses around the globe. And so the, um, um, uh, my passion job 
purpose right now is to get Better Book Club a place in as many businesses as I can so that, so that we can take this concept of read what I read and turn it into read what makes you better and affect people all over the globe. And we're doing that. Like it's an amazing feeling whenever I, whenever I see a, a company jump on board, people build their bookshelves uh, and tell us what they've read and then they start reading forward. And that you, you can never extract the knowledge that, that is learned. The people we meet and the books we read make the biggest difference in who we become as people. And Better Book Club gets a, gets, gives people a chance to move forward. And um, so quick question. When did you start the company? When, when was Better Book Club like a, a standalone entity and a, and a company on its own? Technically, 2018, uh, which was about a year after I left uh, Exit, uh, the companies. Um, and so we've been, we've been massaging it, working with it, tweaking it, trying to get it right, learning things about it. There's, you know, we have, there's, a, there's a technical side of a SaaS company. There's a, there's a um, brain side of the, you know, sort of a strategic side of a, a SaaS company. Um, so we're, we're, we're doing exactly what I did with culture. I'm doing it wrong. I'm finding ways to do it wrong so I can finally get it right and we can impact the most people. I love um, the way you approach mistakes. And, and that's something that I actually wanted to, to talk to you about and ask you because I feel that mistakes are very important. And I also feel that uh, at least new generations, you're judging not only by my experience with people that I work with, but with my own children, and schools in general, they're, they're afraid of making mistakes. And I think that it's important that we celebrate mistakes. I mean, it's important that they grow up thinking that the GPA doesn't mean anything if you don't make mistakes along the way, because that's what's really important. But I feel like we have a society that doesn't really appreciate making mistakes, which, which will potentially impact our future success as a, as a country. I think. Yeah, I can go. Like, I want to go so many places with this story. Like, I, I love this topic. Go, go ahead. Uh, the, uh, like, I'm going to start with every time I hear a news story and, and they go, you know, general professor, captain, uh, uh, CEO, so-and-so did this wrong and they're asking for his, his or her resignation. And I'm thinking, resign, hell, that's a gr like, they just learned a right. tremendous lesson. Like, why would they, like, why would I want someone else? They, that lesson's worth way more right then then swallowing someone's pride and saying i made a mistake so that's at a at a, at a a huge big level uh the same goes on like we each of us have a tendency to forgive ourselves and to and to let ourselves off the hook for mistakes way faster than we let other people and part of our job as leaders and when i say leader i don't mean by title i mean by having influence over the people around you part of our responsibility of that influence is is to welcome praise and 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 applaud mistakes of others it's it's very hard to do when you have a team member who you want to do something right and 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 we only tell them what they're doing wrong like it is it is just like when your kid gets a 97 on a test and we want to know the problem they missed like it doesn't matter let's focus on the 24 problems we got wrong or right and not the one it's the same with our team and if we and the, and the worst part is If we don't allow our kids or our team to make mistakes, they never truly learn. They never truly learn. It's, it's just like before GPS, I, could, I would travel to a city and the fastest way to learn my way around the city was to get lost and then find my way back. And, I would, and even today, I can go back to those cities that I visited in the, in the 90s pre-GPS and I know my way around. Any city I visited post-GPS, I have no idea where I'm going because I'm just following 
the map. I'm not learning. And it's the same with our kids and our, and our people. If we don't allow them to learn from their mistakes and applaud them learning from those mistakes, then they just follow the GPS. They just do what they're told. And the last thing we want as leaders is the team that does what they're told. It's, the, it's like there are always, there's times for that. Like if you're, if your platoon's in war, do what you're told, follow orders, morale, you know, use morality, but follow orders. But with our teams, the last thing we want is them to do what they're told. We want them to think and do what's right. And so it's the same, it's the same process. And so we have, for telling ourselves we're going to get things wrong, telling folks, oh, it's okay, it was me. The true test of a leader is to allow others to get it wrong, to, to help them find their way and to help them learn. Once they learn, we never have to, we never have to preach again. So <clears throat> what lessons did you learn along the way while running many successful businesses and developing cultures where people uh, could do their best work? I would say that I've mentioned a couple of things, you know, far, far, uh, fast alone, far together. I've, I've mentioned uh, being willing to get it wrong on your way to getting it right, allowing others. We've talked about those things. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give you this. If, if you don't grow your team, you can't grow your business. Like that's, that is a huge opportunity, sort of a backbone of any, of any strong culture is the concept of, of growing team. At the same time, if you don't care about your team members, they have far less reason to care about you. And so, and so systems that allow you to grow your team, make them smarter, make them better uh, on their terms, systems that show you care for them and their families are important to creating an environment where they can and are willing to help the business grow. And, and what, I had to, what I didn't know in my first 10 years of business is that, that I thought, I would set the course, I would tell everybody what to do, and we would magically get there. What I learned over my second 10 years of business is that if I grow my team, they will figure out how to get where we're going. If I care about them, they will care about the direction of the business. Uh, and, and if I'm willing to design a culture that rewards those behaviors, I get more of it. So that, that's, that's a long answer. But it's about, for me, it was, it was the lessons were grow your, grow your team members so they can grow you, care about your team members so they can care about the business. In my book, Worth Doing Wrong, there are dozens of examples of, of just in those two categories, and there's several other categories of things, processes, checklists, programs you can put in place in your company that will push on those two boundaries, that will allow you to make a process out of growing, caring for your people, and driving your culture forward. And so lots of that. Thin book, pictures, easy to read because <laughs> I, write, I write simple. Uh, uh, you can listen to it. You can read it. Uh, I'm always, I always love helping people talk about their cultures, happy to have conversations with anyone across the globe. So tell us again the title of the book and then also where can people get it? Also a little bit more about your company and where can people get in touch with you. I'm pretty sure that a lot of our listeners will love to hear a little bit more about you. And by the way, you're an incredible speaker too. So uh, if uh, both Nuri and me have actually watched some of your uh, podcasts and YouTube videos, and I would recommend everyone that's listening to us right now to do the same because uh, lots of things you can, you can learn from uh, listening to Arnie Malham. Well, the, I'll answer I'll try to answer all those questions. Worth doing wrong is the book, uh, Amazon audible, uh, all those normal places to, to find it. It's, it's thin. Again, pictures, easy read, lots of information. It's a how-to book. It's got, so that's that. Betterbookclub.com uh, is where you can learn about Better Book Club. Like if you believe 
you want a book club so that people will read what you tell them to read, don't go to betterbookclub.com. That's not going to work. If, if you believe book club, that, that, that Better Book Club can help your team grow as individuals so they can help you grow as a business, betterbookclub.com. In terms of reaching me, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I have a unique name, Arnie Malham. I'm number one in Google under Arnie Malham, and you'll find my, my uh, web, my email address. Uh, my, my, I think my mobile number is out there. It's on the, it's on the website, uh, worthdoingwrong.com. There's some resources there, uh, examples of things in the book about how to grow your business. You can literally schedule a coffee with me with one click of a button. Uh, not, for, not because I'm charging you to have coffee, because I just love talking about culture and about driving, driving people forward. So happy to do that. Uh, happy to be a part of your solution. If you're willing to do one thing, look in the mirror and realize it's not your team's fault. It's not your industry. It's not your company. It's not where you live. It's you. If you want the culture you want, look in the mirror, make a decision, start doing what you say you'll do, drive your culture forward. Arnie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for everyone listening to this amazing episode of Logistics with Purpose. I'm Enrique Alvarez. This was a great conversation. And if you enjoy conversations like the one that we had today with, with Arnie and some of the other uh, leaders in our industries today, please just feel free to uh, join us at Supply Chain Now. Once again, Enrique Alvarez, and thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>